More Than Optics podcast with Jayshree and Babin. Thank you for joining us on this episode of More Than Optics. Jayshree and I are looking to showcase some of the amazing individuals we have in the optical industry. Uh, they're pursuing really exciting interests, their passions and occupations that are outside the industry. And we've got individuals who've been exploring different avenues, exciting areas, and we hope we can inspire others to move out of their comfort zone, to they can try something new and they can follow their dreams. And I'm really excited today to introduce Dhruvin Patel. He's an optometrist and he's, he's spotted an innovation or a need a few years ago and launched OkiShield. And he's been uh, using his talents to develop the business, grow it to a global brand. And uh, he was recently on uh, Dragon's Den where he uh, got the dragons that he needed on board uh, to help grow his business. So thank you very much, Driven, for being with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, Bavin. It's great to be speaking to you guys. So let's kick straight into that, Driven. So for anybody that doesn't know, what do you do? How long have you been qualified doing what you do? And where did you study? And then we'll move on to the Dragon's Den bit, because I know people want to know about that as well. So do the first three first and then take it from there. Perfect, perfect. Look, lots of questions straight off the bat. Love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, at Alcashield, effectively, we're a brand that's focused around making sure people can have fresher feeling eyes. And the way we do that is limiting harmful blue light exposure. So we have the world's only medically rated screen filters that simply go onto the device screen. So your smartphone, tablet, laptop or monitor. And they selectively filter out the harmful blue light without changing the colors on the screen. So OcuShield's brand ethos is all around letting eyes thrive in the digital age. And we have an ecosystem of products, whether it's screen filters, glasses, or lighting products that limit blue light exposure. And how did it come about? So OcuShield actually started for me when I was at university. So I, I qualified in 2016 or 17. I can't remember now. It's been, been one of those years, but I started my journey in... Um, university studying 2013 level so when I was studying I was actually working on the weekends at optometrist optician chain called Vision Express which mm-hmm. you're familiar with and then while I was studying there kind of the, the lead optometrist at the time gathered the team and said hey we've got this new innovation in store and it's something called blue control which was of course a Hoya based lens mm-hmm. um, which Vision Express signed up to and she said yeah this product you know if glasses wearers put it on their glasses it will limit you know, it will be eye strain. And um, I kind of immediately thought to myself, is this the missing piece of the puzzle? I've grown up with my mother always telling me, looking at screens is bad for your eyes. Um, and I thought, wow, is this, is this what it is? So I kind of ran back to university and I demanded or spoke to the faculty and said, hey, I really want to do my dissertation projects around blue light. And somehow I got my way. So I did a research project on how blue light affects the eye's physiology and circadian rhythms. And after that six to nine months of, you know, reviewing literature, I found not only was there lots of epidemiological and in vitro studies that showed that blue light affected the eyes in terms of visual stress and fatigue, but also blue light affected our sleep. So, you know, suppressed the hormone melatonin, which makes it harder for us to sleep. So my mind was blown at that point was I thought, wow, these are massive pain points and I don't wear glasses. So I didn't want to get glasses to where the blue, you know, get a blue control coating. So I thought, why don't we just turn this into, take that technology and put it directly onto the screen? So fortunately at that time, there was a CAS business school competition going on. So I studied at City University in London. So it's sister university had a business school competition where you submit an idea. And my idea was simply blue light filters in the form of a screen okay. to win two stages and get some grant funding. 
And um, with that grant funding across 18 months, I developed numerous prototypes. And um, across that period, I, I managed to convince about a thousand people to part with their money as pre-orders. And in January 2015, launched the business with, you know, to supply a few iPhone devices with an official screen filter. And that's where kind of the product and business was born. Wow. What a journey. Gosh. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a big trajectory, really, from from one idea to where that where you, where you launch. I mean, that's not that's not small stuff. But you you were by the sounds of it very focused, and you know, and you sort of knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, definitely. I think once I got that idea, I've always been very solution driven, and I mm. think it helped that I really wanted a product that wasn't available on the market. And I think it was very good timing for for me to embark on something like this. And the support of the university obviously really helped with that. But I think, um, yeah, it was it was such a unique journey that because I was able to start the business out of university and in my dorm room, I was effectively shipping products to consumers, you know, straight out of university. And, you know, in that first year, you know, financially, we turned over, I think, £50,000. And for a university student doing it in kind of evenings and lunches and between lectures, it was you know, good indication that there was demand for what I was doing, really. So how did you balance the time? How did you manage to stay on top of things, uh, you know, in terms of university and do all of the other bits and pieces as well? Well, you know, my lecturers will probably hate to hear this, but, you know, everything went digital. So I was able to catch up and probably didn't go to a lot of lectures, <laughs> lectures and kind of uh, managed to sort my diary out so I could, uh, um, you know, make it more suited around me rather than around the lectures. Um, mm. Obviously, clinical practice, you have to be there. But when it comes to more of the qualitative stuff, the beauty of university, especially now post-pandemic, is everything is, the content is online. So you can you can literally learn when you need to learn. I, I was doing that back in 2013, 14 and 15. <laughs> That's interesting. So you sort of, you, you moulded the timetable around the business in a way so that you could do, you could marry both of them together. Yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of people actually say, you know, I, I also firmly believe university is probably the perfect time to start looking at a business. You know, you are busy, but you're not busy as being a parent, for example, where you're working and you're looking, you know, you're, you have dependents. But university is, you know, again, it's just yourself. You've got lots of time around lectures as well. So, you know, it's, it's the best time to do it. Interesting. That is interesting. I mean, I mean, as a uh, university student, I don't remember thinking about that. Actually, I could, I could set up a business there and then. So uh, well, what what do you think kind of drove you to think actually, actually at that time? Right. Yes, I need to have a business and, and, and do it amongst studying as well. Uh, what, what would you say to other university students who are kind of thinking about that? First, you've got to really have that the idea or problem you're solving, which really keeps you up at night. You know, it can't be one of those ideas that comes and then you've forgotten it a week later there's something that's keeping you up and you can't stop thinking about it and it and it serves a, a purpose or a need I think it's something you should explore and most universities now they have a business department or a system in place where they can support entrepreneurship so right. that that especially in the optics industry if it's an optical innovation you can utilize the lecturers and faculties help so for example when I was at my university there was um, Steve Cropetta, who was our optics kind of lead. And I spoke to him a lot while I was developing OcuShield. And I got his insight from a product development side, but also the Cass Business School who were telling me how to, you know, set up a business, what, what needs to be done to get to this point. X, y, so you have that support where if you started outside of university, you kind of start mm. from scratch. So mm. university really has all the ingredients because 
even if the idea is not in optics, you've got you've got computer science, let's say at university, you've got medicine, you've got sports. There's so many different departments, and you can utilize other students and lecturers' um, time to basically learn more, which is the main thing, right? Is that knowledge? Okay, that's interesting. So, that's very interesting. So yeah, so what you're saying is that actually it's a perfect time because even though you don't have the network uh, in terms of uh, you know once you go out of work and you start working, that network changes, doesn't it really? And and those links change and those relationships change, if you like. Whereas in university. Not only do you have the time, but you have a fantastic resource sitting on your doorstep, as it were, to 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 actually maximize what you can maximize out of it, in a way. Yeah, the world is your oyster at university. You can literally connect to anyone who you want to connect to in different fields. And you're right, once you go into your working life, you usually are around one industry. And especially if it's a big corporation, it's very hard to network with all the people that you want to network with. It's probably going to be just your immediate team you speak to. So yeah, that's definitely a benefit of the university environment and did you choose the university yourself or was it was it was it your top choice of university at the time yeah so no university wise you know I think at that time City University was my my top choice in now thinking back eh, I probably would have chosen a university that wasn't in because I've grown up in in London anyway and now thinking back it would have been nice to experience another city in the UK especially in the last 12 months okay so so in terms of what you think in terms of challenges okay what's the biggest challenge you've had up to date yeah I think um yeah let me start first with the optical life I think with optics and optometry itself I think you know I had numerous challenges from whether it was failing a biology exam and having to reset it because you obviously didn't study hard enough for it or it was you know for example OSCEs you know I think I also failed at the first hurdle with OSCEs had to do them again and I think everything is always a journey and I think what I don't aim for is perfectionism I don't I don't aim to be perfect. And I always, if I can't do something right the first time, you just kind of get up and do it again. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I can utilize smarter people around me and learn from them, which is what allows me to go push through those hurdles. So in the optics industry, I think with those um, examples of studies and OSCEs, it's, you know, how I was able to then get around and you know pass the exams which was a very very nice feeling when I passed the OSCEs and um, I'll okay. tell you that I did I didn't want to go through that again I was like no way mm. <laughs> that again. but yeah in, ter- in terms of business I mean that there's, there's numerous challenges I think what, one of them especially is it is a very lonely road in the sense of there's a lot of things you you have to learn on the job like you there's nothing you can really go through to learn about business it's very much so you know, unless you're doing an MBA but even then it's very theory based I know some universities now have um, semesters or functions where they do get some real world experience but in business mm. literally you learn from as you do so building that support network and finding out what you need to do next is was, was a really big challenge because for university you don't have all the materials there where you can learn from because the answers are going to be there right with business, it's almost you have to figure it out. And I think that's been the biggest challenge is figuring out yourself, but also good things take a lot of time. I think I've been very, very used to thinking, oh, I can achieve something in, in a day or a week or a month. But now I know it just takes so long for things to materialize because good things come to those that, that way. I, I know it's a, it's a famous saying. <laughs> True. Yeah, absolutely. So where from doing what you were doing at university and qualifying, where does that journey go from there to being on Dragon's Den then? Yeah. So I, I you know, once I qualified, which I, I believe it was the kind of 2017 region, um, in 2018, my contractual ties with Specsavers finished and the business grew and I was like, I need to 
go on to this full time was I was still doing it kind of um, part time while I was working as an optometrist was I was contractually tied in. And at that point, I brought on an angel investor into the business. His name's Asad Hamir, who's also actually an optometrist. Who, who actually after optometry, he himself became an O2 franchisee. So he has a dozen or two dozen stores within London, which are O2 stores. So, um, you know, he saw what I was doing. We, it was funny, actually, we actually met at CU University because he was in a talk on one of his business ventures. And I was, someone told me to go and say, hey, there's this other optometrist who's also an entrepreneur. Do you know him? I said, no, I don't, I don't know this guy. And I went to listen to his talk and I spoke to him afterwards and after five or six meetings, he said, you know, look, I'm, I'm an optometrist and I'm in the mobile accessories or mobile space. Your products are kind of both. This is like right on my street. I'd love to get involved. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I loved his energy and I thought he could add a lot to the, to the table, especially because he, he already had a successful business. Um, yeah. so I brought him on board and um, he became an angel investor. And with the, the funds he bought on, we were really able to build a better product, build a better product range, rebrand. And most importantly for us was get our products registered with the MHRA in the UK. So I think, you know, because we want to be healthcare led, we wanted to make sure we had those credentials and kind yeah. of set our products apart from the other kinds of products that you can find on the market. So you've got the registration sorted, right? And then? So once we did that project on products, the brand, MHRA, we could really scale our operations and business really, because we can then say we were very confident in our product. We could really then, you know, put fuel on the fire when it came to sales and marketing. And that's what we did. We focused on that, that element and we focused mainly direct to consumer, which was the first point of call, really owning that relationship with our customers and community, learning from them, what else do they want? And then, you know, we, we looked at adjacent channels such as Amazon. And then more recently in the last kind of three to six months, it's been retailers. So working with the likes of Superdrop Opticians in the US, Nordstrom, Best Buy, CVS Pharmacy. And those kinds of affiliations really give us the kudos because, you know, for big retailers to work with a very small brand compared mm. to their business is, is, mm. is really something. And it means that they believe in what we do and they, they feel we're experts in this kind of product space. Mm. So I think, yeah, that, that was really important. And then, you know, we got to a point where last year in the pandemic, February, actually, one of the BBC researchers reached out to, you know, send me an email, his name was Tom. It was kind of like, hey, um, I'm from the BBC research team working on Dragon's Den. We think you and your business will be fantastic for Dragon's Den. Mm. I'm kind of sitting there and it's like, I've, I've watched the show since I was young and um, I've always thought, okay, I'll, I'll go on Dragon's Den. Not this year, I'm not quite ready. Next year, next year, you know, kind of you put it off. And then the fact that they reached out, I was like, okay, maybe now is a good time to, to do it. So, you know, you fill out this mega application form with all your data, due diligence, da, 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 da. And so I sent it off and then I heard nothing for six months. And then Tom got back in touch in, August and he said sorry yeah because of the pandemic we all are on furlough or whatever and he's like but we've now started filming again and quickly moved very fast and he said we love your application you need to do a three minute pitch for our six producers pretend you're going to be in the den pretend they're the dragons do a video pitch send it across and some sample products okay. and then a few days later the producers must have seen it and they said love to have you on the show so they gave us a date I think it was September 20th they said come to Manchester, you'll be pitching to the Dragons. And we're like, right, we've got three weeks to um, get ready for this experience. So me and Assad, we literally kind of spent every weekend just pitching to each other face-to-face -face and family, friends to get ready for it because 
one, it's, it's an experience which not only affects our credibility, but also the brand. You know, if, the, if, if we had a negative experience, then it could also affect the business. Mm-hmm. So you, it's, it's a huge risk doing Absolutely. something like this. Um, but, you know, now we can sit here and say the risk paid off. But I think I've always grown up being comfortable getting uncomfortable because I think, you know, there's only so many things you can be scared about in life. And I think this was one where, if you know now I've done it, I think I can pitch to anyone because yeah. it's just I don't feel scared by that because once you do that, it's well, it's such a nerve-wracking experience. Yeah. And you, it's it's a more battle with yourself and your own mind about everything you're thinking about, and um, you just don't want to fluff up basically. <laughs> but yeah, that's how we got to that Dragons Den experience. I mean, that, that was a challenge by fire, wasn't it? Really, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's amazing. And how much did you get come away with for people so, that haven't seen the episode? Yeah, so on Dragons Den, we went in for 75k for 5%. We managed to negotiate two of the dragons, Peter Jones and Ted Lavani. On the show, we secured a deal of 75k for 15% for both of both those dragons. Wow. wow. Those, those are the ones you wanted as well, aren't they? Yeah, they were. You know, we, we knew Ted, he's healthcare based with phytobiotics, pharmaceuticals. So he, he could really help on that side. And then Peter is a technology guy, you know, runs a successful tech distribution business um so we thought these these two are the ones we wanted and somehow they they knew we were the ones they wanted as well so it, it all, all came together <laughs> great so what happens now then so what's what's the future and the other thing is how do you continue to or do you continue to do optics in terms of that side of things where does that leave you now because you're in a slightly different situation with the business aren't you yeah i i think um in in regards to the business i think now with that massive uk brand awareness and the i guess approval of two major business titans i think it allows us to really explore growing the business faster in different channels Mm. Um, so as i mentioned pharmaceuticals one area i didn't really think about six months ago but now you know whether it's the chemist direct lloyd's pharmacies that kind of route um, is also suitable for our products um, but yeah, it's, a, it's now it's just about doing what we've been doing well and um, accelerating that because our purpose has been to protect people's eyes one screen at a time. And we know we're only scratching the surface at the moment. So, you know, really hitting that mass market kind of appeal is, is going to be really big for us. And in terms of numbers, you know, at the moment, we'll close this year out on a turnover of between 2.1 to 2.5 million. Within the next five years, we want to turn this into a 50 million pound business. And, you know, it's going to take a lot of work for that to happen. But I think we're now set up correctly to hopefully try and achieve that. Yeah, to leverage that that, that potential, if you like, isn't it? That's what it's about. So what happens to optometry then? What happens to you as an optometrist then? Yeah, for me, I mean, look, I'll still be getting my CET points in every year. I'm making (laughs) sure I'm a on the register I think you know even up until March last year the pandemic I was still doing one or two days a week sorry not a week a month one or two days a month and I did enjoy that because it allowed me to still refine my craft even though it was at arm's length but I think now after the pandemic or during the pandemic I stopped because obviously there was so much with the pandemic and I haven't returned back to it I think I'll always be part of the optometry kind of um, industry because myself you know going becoming optometrist you kind of you, you love the profession, right? You know, you love the eyes. And I think if it might not be in the capacity as a, a testing optometrist, there'll definitely be something adjacent to it, whether it's another business idea around it, something digital based or, you know, there's going to be something like that that comes up in the future. So my, my plan is very much so to be um, still associated with the industry and work within it 
where I can. So I'm not I'm not hanging up my optometry boots. And um, yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with what I'm doing as well. You know, again, we are trying to protect eyes from harmful blue light, and it means being able to work with the right people. And you know, a big thing for us has always been giving back. And for the last two years, you know, the last year we gave back to Fight for Sight. This year, RNIB. And um, for the next financial year, we'll be partnering with Morefield's Eye Charity as well. So I think um, always having some sort of connection and giving back to the industry is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, where, where do you see your exit then from um, Hockey Shield? Great question. I think for me, eg- exit wise, it can come in numerous, numerous ways. I think the main thing for me will be to see the business still around and growing, whether it's me still being here is a different question um you know let's say if the business gets acquired they may not want want me around right (laughs) but if that business that acquires us or let's theoretically say SLO Loxotica wanting to acquire Rocket Shield right they they may want someone else to manage and lead the the, Mm. the business and I'm not precious about it in that sense if I know Mm it's in safe hands and it can then reach more people because there's better organizations out there which have distribution networks and teams that can make things happen. So yeah, I'm not precious about that at all, but it's to make sure Oki should will still be around when I'm not there. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah. And did you find that the, the, the pandemic actually was a, was a benefit for you, right? So suddenly everybody's on screens all the time. Yeah, I think it's screen use in kids went to 7.2 hours a day they were using screens. Yeah, the, the, the figures are, are incredible in terms of screen time. And it's here to stay now with the hybrid model as well. But yeah, for us, I think we, we built a great foundation for the business. And I think when the pandemic hit and everyone started realizing we're going to be working from home and they were using screens longer, they were getting tired eyes more often. So the pain point increased. So we knew with our marketing there was more, you know, people are going to be more receptive to it. So for us, we were able to, you know, provide them with a product and a service which could help them. So definitely, I think the pandemic did help us in, in that way to bring, I guess, eyes and Zoom fatigue to the forefront. So even now we're having discussions with employers, they're moving back into the office, but now because of the pandemic, they know actually eyes are so important and they employ, if the employees have headaches or tired eyes they're not going to be productive so they're going to get actually less output from their employees so it's still on the agenda of large employers now that they need to make take a focus on eye care for example within their employees that's good i mean that's always been an area that really hasn't i don't think taken off fully you know we don't always seem to either we're not that good at communicating that or we don't highlight that or or whether they don't just don't get it I don't know but certainly that has as you say put the highlight to pen on that area of life to say okay yes you know we're spending all this time and, and really we should be doing that so it's it's been a positive for the industry per se I would say that you know people do think about that vision side of things a bit more and look at that so in terms of yourself in terms of what you're talking about and we talk and Fabian mentioned the exit strategy what's the biggest area you're curious about now and why where is it going thereafter because if you're saying that yeah you want to still keep in optometry somewhere where, where's your next area of focus if you like if you pardon the pun <laughs> yeah I mean I'll be honest I don't, I don't look too far ahead I'm always executing the next kind of 12 months and okay. that, that very much so for me at the moment is is growing the official business mm-hmm. um, with our current products because we know there's there's a need and it's now about as I said you know, protecting more eyes with our products. So I think the next 12 months is going to be key on focusing on that within yeah. the domestic yeah. market and USA market. What the future holds other than that afterwards, I'm not too sure. I do have 
some ideas and thoughts that I, I you know, I have in my ideas book. And, you know, now, now I think going down this route, there's so many, you know, I've met loads of great people like yourselves, for example, within optics, but then also in the business world. And I think, you know, the opportunities are, you know, there's so many out there, I think. Um, but again, all opportunities take so much time to nurture and you've got to be in a position for where you have the time to do so. And, and, and I've learned, you know, doing this for university that, yeah, it just take it just takes so long for, to establish a brand and get things moving. It's not something that can happen overnight unless you're funded, very well funded by a big VC or a, a, mm. fund, a fund of, of, of money. People don't realize that, you know, you, you, they see people who are successful, but they don't see all the work that went oh, behind yeah. it. And there can be years and years of toil and graft that, that, that you've kind of put in. So and I think, and, and then you see, the, you kind of reap the rewards and the benefits down the line. People don't see how much effort and work that they've, they've done. Yeah, I, I think into one aspect, I think the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Steve Jobs of this world have glorified business maybe not Steve Jobs more Mark Zuckerberg um and you know those that that, that glorified the, the root of you know being a kind of a, a business owner and an entrepreneur it, it definitely has its own unique channels but I think also at the same time we're very fortunate you know, anyone's very fortunate to be able to spend time on creating a business it means you don't have too many other problems you know at, at home or whatever if you can do that it's a luxury at the end of the day it is hard but it's a luxury and I think for anyone that has any ideas is definitely to to go ahead and try it but be patient you know you're gonna you're gonna start something and it's not gonna you're not gonna see millions of dollars of pounds in six months time it's gonna take a while for things to happen and come to fruition so you know they shouldn't be disheartened by that but I think everyone should at least once in their life try something that they've had an idea about and um, you know go for it because you never know what can happen I like the ideas book I like that Mm. idea that's a good one I might do that myself I presume what you're going to do is just going to say you keep it with you and then if you see see anything or think of anything you just put it in there and and what do you do do you wait for it to fester or do you wait for it to, to to look at it in a month's time or what what do you do yeah no exactly so I keep I jot all my ideas down and you'll be you'll it, it's quite funny actually because nine times out of ten a fair few of those ideas you revisit again and you add to them you add another layer you kind oh, of okay. you, you, you connect another dot and you say actually with this idea you can do x but now you can do y and z with it as well and then you kind of build a case study for it and then I think you know for me I kind of score I do a point system um, with my ideas and I kind of say you know how how feasible is it what's the cash required for it what's the market size and is it something that is going to be worth doing and yeah I just kind of keep them there until I'm going to be ready or in a position to execute and as I said not in a position at the moment but it's always good to have your mind thinking and those creative juices kind of running can you give us a sneak peek <laughs> to some of the ideas that a sneak peek um yeah I'll give you I'll give you one of the ideas um let's see was by the way I don't I don't believe ideas are like gold ideas they they come I think Richard Branson said this ideas come so often like a yeah. a red London bus but it's about the people that jump on to execute it's, it's the ex- execution uh, completely absolutely. Yeah. it is it is um I'll give you an, an idea because it probably doesn't work at the moment because of the pandemic but um it's a very social element business so it's it's very it's a combination of airbnb and delivery um it's non-optics by the way yeah that's exactly what we're talking about yeah go on yes yeah, airbnb and delivery crossover but it's effectively um you know bringing 
people people create lots of lovely food at home and you know especially in cities such as london you've got people living in flats and they have mm. a immediate community around them and people like authentic food but what mm. the problem is at the moment they order from restaurants etc but you could have a you could have a flatmate a floor above who's you know let's say a family cooking some amazing let's say indian food and at the moment you wouldn't know about it but i think creating a fostering the app community where um, community can buy food from people around them which means one less wastage on people jumping on a scooter to deliver the goods but also it, it creates a sustainable community it gets yeah. people talking you know in terms of the, you know local community but also it provides you know one some some money for people that have food going to waste or they might even start as a business and it's something they mm. can do quite easily so yeah there, there's a, a snippet into one idea <laughs> yeah I, I think that there are a, a few little cottage industries beginning like that there, there's a few people that may be making like say chapatis from home mm-hmm. or making some uh, uh some uh, a sweet dish or something like that and 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 sharing it and then if you just network those together exactly yeah it's, it's actually one. built a built almost like a you know you can pick a few things different yeah. things locally um and they're, they're either making it from home or making it from from a, a kind of they a local kitchen yeah, imagine, Bavin, if you had that, just like Airbnb, you'd have, you know, you have, um, Bavin, if you're cooking all the food, you have your your menu, you'd have all the photos there. And then, you know, Jay Shree, who lives underneath, you can order your meal for Tuesday, which is you're going to be cooking a, a, a nice curry, lentil curry, for example. And then, you know, for, for five pounds, she can order that and then she can pick it up or you'll deliver it to her door because, you know, in the same community. But yeah, it's, 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 it's an idea. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. There you are. That's what you put something out for free. Let's see what let's see what happens and builds. That, that sounds good. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, short answers only. Okay, and since we're talking about food, we'll do it the other way around. What's your favourite restaurant and favourite dish you would order? So it's a restaurant called Pi P I. They have a few, but the one I go to is in Battersea, and um, yeah, it's the most amazing pizza restaurant that I've ever been to. You can order. It's a 20 inch pizza, three different ingredients on. So they split into thirds. Yeah, the dough is incredible. It's, it's amazing pizza. So, yeah, that's my favourite. Okay, that sounds good. Right, that's one to put on the list there. So uh, if your parents were describing what you do for a living, what they, what, how would they say you do? <laughs> this is a funny one because I, I always ask my mum, I was like, do you, do you know what I do? And she's like, well, yeah, you, you, you do something with eyes. You know, you make eyes all better and she, she can't explain it. Better. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if they were to describe what I do, they'd say... Something to do with eyes online. <laughs> there you go. That'll do. Yeah, That's yeah. pretty decent. That's not bad, is it? It's when people say, oh, she does computers. And you're like, yeah, but what, yeah. mum? What do they yeah. do in computers? You know, it's a big field. So can yeah. you tell me a bit more? Uh, I don't know. Something yeah. to do with computers. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. And what's the best compliment you've ever received? Um, best compliment? Yeah, I think the best compliment I've received is I'm very empathetic. I think it's one that I didn't. Nice. Yeah, it's just, it's just yeah, it was very nice to hear from someone that was was a psychologist actually, and I think that's really important in this day and age. So I think when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's um, that's good to hear. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, that's good. Yeah, the empathy probably comes in good good use when you're when you're doing your trustee stuff, isn't it? But for Croydon Vision, when you're when you're being a trustee, it's actually being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and making sure that you understand where they come from, what their challenges are, what their barriers are, right? Yeah, I think I think it's a really um, undervalued skill and a lot of people probably yeah don't explore it as much as they should. But I think just understanding other people and being able to put yourself in their shoes is so important. 
what would you tell yourself when you were just starting university if you had to if you go back in time I would give myself what would I say I would say um yeah I'd say be patient I'd say be patient I think um at university you want you want everything now and then just like just like we we want our our takeaway we want it delivered ASAP I think with anything we you know I'd say to myself yeah be patient sounds good sounds good no, well, good. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's fascinating. Very, very interesting insight. And I think quite inspirational, really, to Absolutely. for other people. You know, just just knowing the kind of journey that you've been on. And I think, I think you, from the way that you're talking about the challenges, actually, you've enjoyed the challenges, right? You, you've, you've actually found them a, a kind of an exciting way, you know, to to yeah. kind of tackle each one. It's it's all it's all a journey now. You realize, you know, there's no end destination. It's kind of all a journey whatever happens whether it's good or bad it's part of the learnings and the journey yeah. that's at hand yeah absolutely the journey that counts mm. absolutely that's the thing it's 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 actually the end point is is not not the final sort of destination it's the journey and how you get there and what you learn and the people you encounter right and that's a that should be an ongoing journey be it optical or non-optical really that's that's the journey of life i think so great thanks so much for coming on Brilliant. and thanks for so time much. Driven. no problem thank you thank you right. pleasure Thanks for joining us for this edition of the More Than Optics podcast. Make sure you're kept up to date with all our future episodes by following or subscribing to our channel. And don't forget to check us out on social media at More Than Optics. We'll see you next time.